by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. So glad all you came today. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time I was in the tire business? Yeah, I, I was in the tire business for one day. <clears throat> Me and my friend Hal, when we were, we were young teenagers, uh, his dad sent us in his truck to go up to the tire store and told us to give these two bald tires to this guy up at the tire center. So we went up there, and the guy came out, and I guess his name was Vern because it was stitched on his shirt. And, and uh he looked at the two bald tires, and he said, all right, here, give your dad this $10 bill and tell him I'll pay $5 for any more potential retreads he's got. And me and Hal's eyes got all wide. $5 is a lot of money to us back in them days, you know. And anyway, so we bolted off with the $10 and jumped in his dad's truck, and I had to push it off, you know, to, to crank it up. <laughs> he had some raggedy trucks, boy. But we whisked off in the morning traffic, and we wasn't even worried about, you know, the fact that he didn't have much brakes. I knew Hal could downshift like nobody's business. You know, he was, he was a good driver. I'd been driving, him, driving with him since we were old enough to man a chainsaw. And I had no doubt that next year when he turned 15, he'd be able to pass that driver's <laughs> license test. <clears throat> At least the driving part. I didn't know about the written part. But I could see that look in his eyes. And I knew something was going on with Hal. And I said, let me guess. We're going into the tire business. And he goes, yep, we can't afford not to. If, if, if Vern's willing to pay $5 for an old tire, man, we can make it rich. And so we dropped the $10 off with his dad, and we got the keys to a bigger truck. He wasn't happy with just a regular truck. We got his dump truck. His dad was in the, in the tree business. And so we cranked the dump truck up, and I said, well, what's the plan? We're down the street, you know. He says, well, here's the plan. The way I figure it, if he's willing to pay $5 for messed up old tires, we can look in his dumpster and see how many he's got and sell them back to him. <laughs> so we went back up to Vern's tire store, and we, we eased up over by the dumpsters, and he threw about seven and a half old tires up on the back of the truck there. He said, man, that's got to be $100 right there. And I didn't know about his math, but I was starting to get on board. I said, you know what? I bet all the tire companies in Memphis throw out their old tires. And so what we did, we spent the rest of the day going through every tire store in Memphis, diving in the dumpsters, and we filled that entire big old dump truck up with those rubber rejects. Man, when we came back that day, late, at the, late in the afternoon, right before closing time, thank goodness we made it back in time. We was grimy, you know, we had black soot all, and we had been working all the hardest. We, it was wor it's hard work uh, d diving in the dumpsters if you've never done it, throwing out big old heavy tires, almost hard, hard as tree work. But we got back, and we had, as tired as we were, we had smiles on our faces. We was grinning from ear to ear. We just knew we were fixing to be the richest kids in all of Whitehaven. $5 a tire, and we've got this thing filled up. So we pulled up there. And uh, we went and knocked on the front door and looked in and said, Vern, come here, we got something to show you. He came out there, and, and he pulled the first tire off with it, and he started looking at it, set it down, pulled another one off. And that's when he began to explain to us the qualifications of a potential retread tire, and none of ours qualified. <laughs> None of them. And, and, well, we didn't, he didn't check them all, but he, he knew enough to look up and said, boys, what, where have y'all been? <laughs> anyway, needless to say, that was the last day for me in the tire business. We spent the rest of the night having to redeposit those tires somewhere, by the way, because we couldn't bring a, the dump truck back to his dad with full of those tires. But they say money talks. I heard it giggling at me that night. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So I never did attain that rich status in Whitehaven back in those days. But today's message is entitled, we're still on the why series, the all-important why. Today's message, and this is on your sheet, why we don't love it, dot, 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 money. Why we don't love it, dot, 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 money. <laughs> Pastor, you're not going to talk on money, are you? You'll run everybody off. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not taking up another offering. There'll be no, no other offerings today. I've resisted for two years talking about money. But when I signed up, I signed up to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And uh, I looked it up. It says 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were concerning how to handle money and your possessions. So much of what he talked about. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. Surprising. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, a little less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on how to handle money and your possessions. 2,000. Don't worry, we're not going to try to preach them all today. I don't need your help out there. But we are going to try to get a picture of the big concept that we should have about the subject of money. We'll try to get to, and I'll try to be fair and balanced, you know. How should we feel about money? Mark Twain said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> I don't know if he quoted it right out of the Bible, the lack of money is the root of all evil. But I will agree, it's nice to have some. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a guinea. <laughs> if, if you want to give me some, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I like it just fine. But what we're going to find out is what does the Bible say? That's what's really important. It don't matter what I say. It don't matter what Mark Twain says. <laughs> it matter what does the Bible say. You ain't one of them prosperity teachers, are you? <laughs> well, we'll see if I am or not. I'd like to think I'm a Bible teacher. I try not to be swayed one way or another by some man's philosophy on the Bible. I, I just try to preach the Bible. So we'll see where it takes us. Go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9. It says, people who long to be rich fall into temptations and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. It doesn't say money causes them to fall or traps them, but it says our misplaced longings and desires call it, cause us to fall and be trapped, right? It says it causes us to be plunged into ruin and destruction. So the way we think about money is important, or to cause you to fall into ruin and destruction, as I can attest to from my days in the tire business. <laughs> in the verse 10, you've heard this. It says, for the love of money, not the lack of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money, there's your problem right there, craving money. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a serious issue if it would cause somebody to fall from the faith. And so that's why I felt I must speak a word on it. I feel like the Lord's leading me to preach a message on our giving and our, our understanding of receiving and, and money in general. I've never been one to just want to stack it up in the bank myself. I kind of like the spending part of it. You know, I, I just don't want to see how much I got. I just want, I, I really like to transfer my stuff into stuff. <laughs> my money into stuff and see how much stuff I've got. I used to think I had to have a, 
Uh, one of everything, right? Some of you may feel like that. Uh, you got to have a boat. Got to have a four-wheeler. Got to have a gun. You got to have a rifle and a, and a pistol. You know, you got to have a bow. You got to have, have one of everything. And pretty soon, you get to realizing, I got to have a case to put everything in. So you start spending all your money on cases. And then when, when you do that, you got, start realizing, I don't really, my house is looking junky. I need boxes to put all my cases of stuff in. And you start hiding stuff under the bed. Pretty soon, you run out of room there, and you need a bigger house. To keep all your stuff. Am I, am I just preaching or telling the truth? And one of the things I found out, that uh, just the initial purchase of something, that's just the first expense. You got upkeep. You got depreciation. I mean, it, you got to pay for gas for that thing or whatever it is, you know. It's just the start of expenses. And then you got somebody knocking on your door all the time. We want to film a TV show. We're from Hoarders, you know. <laughs> we just got too much stuff. <laughs> We're the, the stuff-fieldest generation ever. And if we're not careful, you know, our possessions, when God talks about money, he usually talks about possessions. We can become a slave to our money or, and or our possessions. There's a parable that Jesus told about this one guy that things were going well for him. His crops were just yielding more and more. And, and he looked at his little barns out there and he said, man, I don't have enough room to store all my grain. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear them regular normal sized barns down and I'll build bigger barns. Sort of like us. You know, you got two people living in an 8,000-square-foot house because of all their stuff or because of the status or whatever. But anyway, this guy built bigger barns, and he put all the grain in it, and he says, huh, I got it made. Now I don't have to do anything. I'll just eat, drink, and be merry, sit back, and, and I got enough to take care of me the rest of my life. And God said, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you. And now who's going to get all your stuff? We don't know what, why are we saving up big stuff? Why, why are we hoarding it? Luke 12, 21 says, A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Storing up earthly wealth. We talked about that. You know, they don't know what I was going to preach, but they were talking about that back there before we came out about, you know, how they're storing up treasure in heaven by their faithfulness to, to be at music practice and, and to, to play, you know. And we talked about, man, I wish, I wish we had the finances to, to give you guys a little pay or something for all your faithfulness. Maybe one day we could pay our musicians or something. But they were like, nah, we, we don't care about that. We're saving up treasures in heaven. That's a good, I, I have no, I would really like to be able to pay them. I think that would be a great thing. One day, and that's something we should shoot for. I'd like to pay all our staff. It would be wonderful. But the thing is, I have, uh, they got the right attitude. Like Chad says, if, that was, if, that, if we did one day, that would be great, but that ain't why I'm doing it. He's saving up treasures in heaven, and he has a, he's working on a rich relationship with God. You want to be rich? There's your, something to be rich in in your relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. Is it, is it wiser for us, to, if you were going to invest, is it wiser to invest in something temporary that's going to be used up or burned up or lost eventually, or is it wiser to invest in something eternal, secure in the heavens, that you know nothing is ever going to, no moth, rust, or thieves are going to break in and steal, I mean, some of us are wanting to buy gold, you know, because we don't trust our currency anymore. People are they're, they're getting rich off, off selling us gold, you know. It might be a wise idea, I don't know, but some people are getting rich on the idea. But here's a better idea. Save up treasure that you know it, uh, your gold can get stole. <laughs> and that rhymes. Your gold can get stole. 
but your treasures in heaven are safe. Somebody show me a dollar. Who's got a dollar on them? Just pull out a dollar. I'm going to show you something. Who's got a dollar? She's got a dollar. Does it, does it say, in God we trust? Yeah. <laughs> Let's turn to Luke 12, 15. <laughs> then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, we're, we've been playing on the wrong scale. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was growing up because every job I chased was which one was paying the most. I never stopped to think, maybe God has a direction for my life. I just chased the almighty dollar. And I thought the more stuff I had, the more successful I was. And we're playing on the wrong scale. We've got to get a paradigm shift. That's not what makes you successful in life. Guard against every kind of greed. Every kind, not just for money. Life is not measured by how much you own. You may have heard of Andy Stanley. He said greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus agrees. He says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, God knows that if you love money, then you're... You're not making room to love him. Matthew 6, 24 says, he says, No man can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's serious. I don't think we have anybody in here, you know, enslaved to money. But we can be enslaved in little ways that we don't realize. You know, we got to have this, we got to attain this certain style of life, this life, what do you call it, the status. We got to keep up with the Joneses, you know, we got to do this. There's little things. Some of us are, are working nonstop and don't have any time for God's things because we're paying these outrageous high car notes or house notes because we've bought into the world's life. Don't get mad at me just because I'm preaching good. Exodus 20, verse 3, God said, you must not have any gods before me. One of the Ten Commandments. And some, some people have pierced themselves with many sorrows because they have made money or, or their possessions God of their life. And they're serving those things. You see, you become enslaved to them. You've got to pay that note. And so you're enslaved to them to a certain degree. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a house note or a car note or any of that. But you've got to know the point where you're, you're tipping the scale. You know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a balanced teacher. I, I like money. I like it just fine. I wish I had more of it. But I try to keep it in a proper perspective. And I like my stuff, but I'm learning that I don't need everything all at once. And I'm learning, if I let go and let God, he'll bring more blessing into my life than I could have ever did on my own. All I really, all I have to do is mention that I want something these days. I can say, man, I'm running out of socks. And I'll look up, my mama will come over and bring me 12 pairs of socks. <laughs> Shirts physically grow in my closet. I don't know where they come from. No clue how they get there. I give them away in piles. Some of you are wearing my old shirts here today. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then I go back, and, and, and I've, I, oh, man, this is good. I've got room in my closet. And two weeks later, I'll go in there and it's like, Whoa. where did these shirts come from? I mean, God takes care of our needs. What is our source? Is it our hard work? Is it our toll that we've got to make this thing happen? Or are we trusting God? I know, I know, your situation is different. I know, I mean, I know. We all have situations. And I understand everybody's got a situation. 
I understand. It sounds like, like Jesus is making it out that money's just bad, bad stuff. You don't want any of that. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the love of money. The love of money is bad, bad stuff. The love of money can ruin an entire nation as we have on display here in America. Some guy said a fool and his money are soon parted. Will Rogers said a fool and his money are soon elected. And in November, we'll find out which one. <clears throat> money can be the root of all evil. You've got to admit, how many people have died, been killed, murdered over a piece of paper with some green ink on it? That's people that have lost their, their way. They, they don't understand. Somebody show me a dollar. So, no, I mean, come on, I'm the pastor. Somebody help me out. Y'all can't trust me with a dollar? Come on, somebody show me a dollar. Somebody got a dollar? All right, Keith's got a dollar. The rest of y'all are saying, thank goodness Keith beat me to it. Okay, okay. I just need this one. Who, whose picture and inscription is on this? George Washington. It's George Washington. It ain't your picture on there. Look, God owns it all, doesn't he? What is it? Psalms 24, 1 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In, in other words, everything in it. The trees that they use to make the paper and this, whatever they use to make ink, the green ink to put on there. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the money in a million banks. He owns the jingle in seven billion pockets around the earth. He owns the people wearing those pants that's jingling. It's all God's. What we got to understand, he's just made us stewards over money. And many times he uses it for us to, to meet our needs, yes, but to help someone else in need. Money is not bad. It's the love of money. And God uses money test our hearts because Jesus says where your treasure is there your heart is also and so it's like it's like a tree producing fruit you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit it's producing turn to Malachi 3 it's the, it's the, uh, the book right before Matthew Malachi 3.8. Now this is God speaking through the prophet Malachi. I don't know if that means anything to you. But when God speaks, it's better than E.F. Hutton. So should people cheat God? He's asking a question. I think it's a rhetorical question. Should people cheat God? He said, yet you've cheated me. But you ask what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Nobody would really knowingly cheat God, would they? I mean, come on. He said, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due me. And you're under a curse and your whole nation has been cheating me. That's serious. You want to talk about God testing a people. Boy, you start talking about the money. You start talking about give God a tenth. Wow. But that's how God tests your heart. Do you know, I, I see statistics. I don't remember what they were, but I believe it's somewhere like 20% of the people in the churches in America today tithe. Probably less than that. Probably less than 20%. And most churches, as you see, are barely skating by, barely making their budgets. <clears throat> I 
what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. Did you know that it's, not, it's really not the government's place to help poor people? That thought just came to me. It's not on my sheet. That it's really not the government's place to help people that are out of work, that can't afford food. The government really messing that up. The government's not t- teaching people to fish. It's just giving them more and more fish so that they don't want to even fish. The church is supposed to help the poor, the downtrodden. That's our job. But in America, the government took over that role, and so the church skates by with 20% of the people tithing. But if everybody would tithe, can imagine the, the impact the American church would have on America. We would have the finances to help the poor. We would have more than enough to do outreaches, more than enough to do everything, that, to be the church that God calls us to be, but we would rather just skate by with just 20% of the people funding most of the church and just enough to keep the light bills on, and boy, we'll really we'll give another dollar towards the outreach. Think, that's why we've lost our influence here in America. Because we let the government do our job for us. Is that heavy to y'all? I know, I don't know, I don't look at the, you know, this details or whatever, but I know that there's those of you in here that don't tithe. And tithing is given 10% of your income. Tithing is... When you get a check of new money coming in that you work for, new income, it's you giving your first 10% to God. And, and you say, well, I can't do that because I don't make much. That's a lie because a tithe is 10% of whatever you make. You say, I, don't ma- I didn't make anything this week. I can't tithe. You don't have to tithe if you didn't make anything this week because 10% of nothing is what? Nothing. It's a fair system that all can tithe. It's not asking you to give 10% of everything that's in your bank account every week. It's asking you to give 10% of your increase every week. If you get a check, if you get a check for 100, give 10 to the church. And that's a fair way for all of us to give and to show God that we trust him, that we're not cheating God. That's what he asked. That's what God requires. That's what God requires. He said, if you don't, you have cheated me. Now, don't shout me down because I'm, I'm being a pastor for a moment. But there are people in here that do tithe, and they're probably a little upset that we don't have more to show for it because there's so great of people that don't tithe. It's our responsibility, and God is saying, you're cheating me if you don't tithe. Now, you're saying, Pastor, boy, you're really putting it on his heart. Well, I get paid to preach the full counsel of God's Word. And so I'm not afraid to do my job. But tithing, Billy Graham says this, we have found that in our home, as thousands of others have, y'all trust Billy Graham, don't you? You don't trust me, you trust Billy Graham, right? (laughs) He says that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it go farther than the ten-tenths when we didn't tithe. I mean, that's just simple trust, folks. Wouldn't you rather lay your head on the pillow at night and knowing that you wasn't cheating God and having God's blessing on your 90% than saying, oh, I've got my whole 100% and I'm not trusting anybody? And being out there on your own? I know it's a scary prospect for some people. They've never given that kind of money. But if I, I'm not going to do it, but if I ask those, those that tithe right now, <laughs> has God proven himself faithful in that covenant? I have no doubt that not 90%, not 95%, but all 100% of people who tithe would raise their hand and say, God is faithful to, to the covenant.
So tithing, and like I said, I know some of you are new, and you may not have heard this teaching, so, you, you know, you can only respond to what you know. But some of you that are not tithing, now that you hear this word, you're going to have to check your heart. Now, you, if you're new here, you're saying, I don't like this preacher. He talks about money. This is my first time in two years. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell the truth about it. If you're not tithing, you're just missing out. You are just missing out. Look, it was hard for me, but when, I get, when we made the determination, well, we're following God no matter what. God's been too good to us. If we can't trust him with 10%, then I don't even know what's, what we're doing here. What are you doing here if you can't trust God with 10%? So we just said, let's take it out before we even see it, you know? And we would we'd put it, we'd get our check, and it's supposed to be your first fruits anyway. It's supposed to be the best, not wait till see if you can pay the bill, and then you tithe. You do it on the front end in faith, and we just started taking it out. Man, that next year, income tax time, we put down our giving, and it seemed like we got it all back and more. And I don't know how God does it. I have no idea. I don't even want to know. All I do, I, tell, I let Angie handle the money. Move us up to 12%. I don't care. I don't even worry about it. I let it go. And I tell you what, I sleep good at night. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Malachi, if you keep going in 310, says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where's your storehouse? Your local church. So that there will be enough food in my temple. Spiritual food. Natural food. Enough of everything that we need. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. Now, I know we're getting some people fixing to start shouting. We, I, I tell you what, let me just say for the record, there's more than 20% that tithe in this church. We would not have this nice facility if it weren't for the faithfulness of more than 20% of people in this place. We've never had a problem with that. But he says, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to receive it. He said, try it, put me to the test. And you've heard it saying, it's true. This is the only place that God says, test him in this. The rest of you got to do by faith. But God says, test me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. If you would just trust me with that 10%. Deuteronomy 28, uh, 2, he says, all these blessings shall come on thee. And overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now he's talking about all the things if you keep the covenant or whatever. And tithing could be included in that. And he goes on and if you look at Deuteronomy 28, the first half of it is just, wow, these, all these blessings are for me. He'll rebuke the devourer and all these things. Beautiful things. Blessing, 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 blessing. But I want you to notice that one word. Overtake. What do you mean, Pastor? Overtake. All these blessings shall overtake. If you're chasing the blessing, how can the blessing overtake you? Overtaking comes from behind. If you're following God and chasing Him, the blessings overtake you. Amen? Jesus, he didn't worry about money. I don't think we're supposed to either. Yeah, you got to pay the bills, but you don't work, you don't eat, and all that. But when Jesus needed to pay his taxes, he just sent Peter fishing. It just showed up. And that's the way my life is. I'm serious. It just shows up. In John 12... It says that the, the disciple Judas, the one who betrayed him, was the keeper of the bag and, and their treasury in Jesus' ministry. It says he stole from the bag. I'm like, Jesus, you're Jesus. Don't you know this? Why did you hire a thief to carry the bag? 
And once you, once you knew he was, what he was doing, why didn't you give that job to somebody else? Jesus didn't care about money. If that bag had a hole in it, you think Jesus was concerned? Was he concerned when he had to feed the 5,000 with a happy meal? He wasn't concerned about money so much. He wasn't worried about it. In Matthew 10, he told the disciples to go out two by two and go witnessing. And one odd thing, he says, don't take any money with you. And I, I thought to myself, why would he tell them not to take any money? They may have expenses along the way, you know. There's always expenses. Like I said, money's a good thing to have in your pocket. Anybody got a dollar? But, but I wonder why, why, Jesus, why did you tell them not to take any money? I don't know for sure, but I think maybe it's just because if they thought that they had to have money to go witness, they would wait till they had money to go witness. He's just saying, I don't care if you got money or not, go. You better get used to it because there'll be times when you'll be asked to go and you don't know how you're going to fund it. And you just better learn to go. It's about going. I'll provide. You don't have to bring money. Just I'll provide. I don't think he, you know, stayed up a lot of sleepless nights. You see Jesus, oh, Lord, we're going to have to, I don't know how we're going to fund this next outreach. Lord, oh, Jesus. <laughs> just sweating bullets, you know. I like the story about when he was in the, in the uh, temple and he stood up by the box, you know, like say they, they had a box similar to this. And, and all the rich people was coming up and putting their offerings in there. They were giving a lot of money. But then a little widow woman comes up and puts two mites. I don't know what a mite is, but it don't sound like a lot. I think it's a few pennies. And she put two mites in the bucket. And he stopped there. Ho, 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 ho. Stop the music. Ho, listen up. This woman has given more than all of you. And they look at Jesus, you, you done lost it. She didn't put but a couple pennies in there. He says, you gave out, out of some of your abundance, but this woman has given everything she had. And you say, well, Jesus, that's kind of heartless. You, you claim to care about the poor. You claim to care about, and, and that this woman has given her last. She don't, I don't even know if she's got anything to eat at home. She gave everything she had. Now you done left her in a, in a position. And then, then now you're saying that's a good thing? And you care about the poor? No. What Jesus was saying, because he had already said it in Luke 6 and 38, he said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give determines the amount you give back. He, he was saying, you can go ahead and give it all if you want to, but you can't outgive me. I'm going to give it back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. So don't worry about how much you give. The more, the better. You determine a cheerful heart. Just give with a cheerful heart and give what you can because I'm going to give it back to you. Good, good measure, press down, shaking together. He was so simple about money. It's a heart issue. It's a trust. Then there's that young cat that came to Jesus. This guy probably wearing an Armani suit or something. You know what? Is that what they say? Armani or Armenian or some Armani something. This guy, he was obviously well-to-do, probably well-spoken. You know, you can imagine being a young guy and being rich and everything and having that swagger and he comes up to Jesus. But, but he's, he's intelligent. He asked a very, very important question. He said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's about the most important question a lost person can ask. And Jesus said, to test him, he started bringing him through the law. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your... And, and, and he goes through a few of the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done all these things since my youth. And there he lied. Because the Bible said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
He hadn't done that. But, you know, being a young rich guy, he could kind of feel like he had. And then in Luke 18, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus knew the man couldn't be saved by keeping the law. None of us can. It's only through following Jesus, giving our heart to Jesus that we can be saved. But he's saying that he's testing the young man's heart. He's saying, your love of money is keeping you from going with me, from following me, to, from doing what I say. And see, that's what the problem is with money so many times. It keeps us from following Jesus the way we're supposed to. We're so so concerned about the bank account, we can't let go of those thoughts. We're putting so much energy into money. And this poor guy wouldn't even let go when Jesus himself was there in the flesh and he wouldn't follow Jesus. He walked away sad because he had great possessions. And you should be sad if you have great possessions and don't have a rich relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with great possessions unless great possessions have your heart. In verse 23, it says, When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard is it for the rich people to enter into the kingdom of God? Does the money keep them out? No. It's because they won't come in because they love their money. They're afraid they're going to lose their money. Psalm 62.10 says, If your wealth increases... Don't make it the center of your life. Some of you, some of us, would like greater wealth in our life, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a better life and so forth. But God can't give you what he wants to give you because your heart is not adjusted right. Just like you can't give your children too much stuff, they'll become spoiled and they'll forget about you and they won't obey you and they won't listen to you anymore. But if we could get our heart right, God could pour so much through us. It's not about how much he can get to you. It's how much he can get through you. You can have all the wealth and the riches you want, but the moment you put a clog in that pipe, God's going to say, I, I can't bust that pipe open. I'm going to have to stop putting stuff in it. But the more you give, the more you can receive. 1 Timothy 6, again, in verse 6 says, True godliness with contentment is in itself great gain. I believe that. I've got to a place where I, I don't care if I'm rich or poor. I, I'm just content with life, with the things that I have. I'm good. I'm good. Really, I mean, we waste our youth on these things. We chase this carrot that the devil's leading us around with. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. In all actuality, money is just a tool. Isn't that the truth? Money is just a tool. Did, did anybody steal my hammer? Somebody got my hammer? No, there it is. What is this? It's a tool. It's a tool. Right? Harlan, you use one of these, right? As a, as a contractor or whatever. It's a tool. It's one of the many tools we use. But some people say, I, I don't actually use my hammer. I'm just saving it up. <laughs> Money is a tool now. But they say, they don't want to use the tool. They, I'm just saving up my tool. I'm sitting around wishing I had more hammers. <laughs> I spend my time daydreaming 
about more hammers. You know, I spend 70 or 80 hours a week at work chasing the almighty hammer. Show me the hammer. It's hammer time. You know, I'd like to spend some time with the kids, but they know I'm the hammer maker. Money's just a tool, right? But some of us would cut family members off if we loaned them our hammer and they didn't bring it back. We would never speak to them again. Whole families. Some people are sitting around waiting on their parents to die so they can get their hammer. They'd rather have their hammer than their relationship with their parents. And then whole families split up about who gets the hammer. Do you see the wrong relationship that we have with the tool? Money is simply a tool. Some people say, I, I want all my hammers with me in the casket when I go. No! Money is just like a hammer. It's just a tool. We've got to have the right perspective. This is a tool that we need. You can build, build your life with this tool. It's a good thing. It's a blessing to us. It is nothing wrong with having good tools. This is a tool that can build bridges for people to get over to God's love. This is a tool that can rip down walls that keep people from the gospel. The tool can be used in mighty, mighty ways. Respect it. Use it wisely. But don't love it. Don't love it. If I had my way, I, I like what it says in Proverbs 30, verse 7. It says, oh God, I beg two favors from you. If you, had, if you had two wishes, what would they be? This guy says, I beg two favors. I used to think it was David, but it's some other guy that wrote this. Agar or something. Two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. And that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy. Say satisfy. God satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? I got this down. How many people do you know like that? You can't reach them with the gospel. I don't need that stuff. I've got everything I need. Everything's going great for them, you know, right now. And if I'm, poor, if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So we don't want to be too poor. You know, that's not a good witness, especially if you've got to steal to make your living or whatever. So we don't want to be poor, but we don't want to be too rich that we forget about God. I'm just a steward, and the money is just a tool. I'm just a steward of the, the, the manifold grace of God, whether it comes through blessings of money and grace and mercy, whatever God's pouring out. I'm just a steward of God's grace. And you, O oh Lord, you are my treasure. God is my treasure. If anything else is your treasure, anything else holds that place in your heart above God, if you're holding on, you can't give God what God asks, then something is wrong. God deserves that place of preeminence in your life. He should be your treasure. Who gave me those dollar bills? You didn't give no dollar bill. <laughs> Look here. Your dollar bill grew into a five. Keith? It's too late, too late. Your, your dollar bill 
you invested in the Word of God, and it brought back a harvest. Father God, you're not against prosperity. You're not wanting us to be barely getting by, barely getting by a crew. But I tell you what, I know that you don't love those poor over in Africa any less than you love the people that you have blessed. It ain't about that. Help us get a right perspective on money is just a tool and we're just stewards of it. It's not supposed to be the main thing. Let us keep our eyes on you and help us in our life get a right perspective on our giving, on our tithing, on our offerings that we give, the, whether it be money or whether it be our time or be helping one another. Help us find the great things in life, the meaningful things in life. Family. Oh, Lord, may no, no family in this church ever be split over something like money. We got to be bigger than that, Lord. The spirit that you put in our hearts is bigger than that. If there's any hurt in here of overpassed grievances and, and things that's gone on, I pray that you would give us a tender heart to forgive and to make amends. Lord, if we're cheating our bosses, lying on our timesheets, and not giving our best all the other ways that we cheat other people out of their finances and we're cheating the government and whatever. Father God, I pray that you'd deal with our hearts. and We'd trust you to do the right thing. You, we would trust you enough for us to do the right thing. Because I think you use money, Father, as a test of our heart. And we want our hearts to reflect how much we love you. And that's it. We trust you like Jesus trusted you. We trust you with the rest. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when uh, we drove up to that tire shop that night with that big load of tires and we was grinning at one another, I remember something Hal said. He was talking about Vern, I guess. He says, there's a sucker born every minute. And he was right. <laughs> but the good news is, every sucker can be born again. Every sucker can be born again. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.